I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. Hey, we've had some break-ins in my neighborhood, and there's a real suspicious guy. This guy looks like he's up to no good, or he's on drugs or something. It's raining, and he's just walking around looking about. Okay, and this guy, is he white, black, or Hispanic? He looks black. Did you see what he was wearing? Yeah, a dark hoodie, like a gray hoodie, and either jeans or sweatpants and white tennis shoes. These they always get away. Are you following them? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. Okay. Do you need police, fire, medical? Um, maybe both. I'm not sure. There's just someone screaming outside. Okay. And is it a male or a female? It sounds like a male. And you don't know why? I don't know why. I think they're yelling help, but I don't know. Just send someone quick to take a does he look hurt? I can't see him. I don't want to go out there. I don't know what's going on. So they're sending. So you think he's yelling help? Yes. All right. What is your? There's gunshots. You just heard gunshots? Yes. A guy is raising his hands up. He's saying he shot up the wrestling right in the back. Trayvon Martin was shot and killed by an armed Sanford, Florida man after he deemed Martin, quote, suspicious, an incident that has tragic similarities to the one that took the life of Antoine Rose Jr. in Pittsburgh last June. Our guests on this episode of We Can Be are two social change activists who have been prominent in the Black Lives Matter movement, which was sparked into being by Trayvon's death. Sabrina Fulton is the mother of Trayvon Martin and the co-founder of the Trayvon Martin Foundation, which provides emotional and financial support to families who have lost a child to gun violence. Jaziri X is the co-founder of the anti-violence group One Hood, a nationally recognized collective of socially conscious artists and activists who use art as a means of raising awareness about social justice matters affecting people around the world. Sabrina Fulton, Jaziri X, thanks so much for being here to have this conversation. I am really honored to have the both of you, Sabrina, you in particular, to have the opportunity to speak with you. As I think you know, I've watched in awe at the impact that you've made in changing the narrative around black lives in the wake of what happened with Trayvon. But I think the appropriate place to start is to honor Trayvon and just ask you to say something about him. That's easy. He was my youngest son. I also have an older son. Trayvon would have been 24 years old this coming February 5th. Javaris is 28 years old. They both are family-oriented and, you know, just love being around their family and just everyday kids. Trayvon was really a people person. He called everybody his friend. He was into sports, aviation. He loved little babies. He loved small kids and, you know, try to teach them to do different things. And he, he, he liked to ride his bike. He was just a average kid to me. 
But I do miss him. Of course, I think about him every single day. And that's why I have become his spokesperson, because he's not here to speak for himself. What came over you in the wake of his loss to want to turn that moment into an opportunity to speak to people about change? Well, the first thing, of course, was because he wasn't here to speak for himself. So his voice was silent. But I think people needed to hear from Trayvon. And so I am his representative. His dad is also his representative. He speaks all around the country on behalf of Trayvon Martin. But this is not something that I would have signed up for. This is not something that I was willing to do. I would not have sacrificed my son. I did not want to speak. I did not want to talk. I just wanted this nightmare to go away. And then when I realized that I could not bring those things back, I could not bring my son back. I just feel like I'm just doing my part. I think any mother who feels like her son was unjustly killed feels a need and feels that they should speak out. But not all mothers are able to do what I'm doing, you know. And so I not only stand for Trayvon Martin, but all the mothers that you might not know their child's name. I stand and I speak for them. I met a young lady tonight, and she was a victim of uh, sexual assault. I just really commend her. She told me that I inspire her, but she actually inspires me to know that you've been through such a tragic circumstance and you're still able to talk about it and to try to lift up and help others. And that's what it's all about. You arrived here after an event that One Hood Media put together to share your story. And Jaziri, I'm wondering what inspired you to want to bring Sabrina here? Well, I mean, one, I mean, I've, you know, been blessed to spend time with Sabrina and do events with Sabrina. And I saw firsthand the impact that she has on people when she tells her story. I saw firsthand these young people at universities talk about how they've inspired her. Pittsburgh has been through a lot these last few months, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, the murder of Antoine Rose, with what happened at the Tree of Life Synagogue, the massacre there. We just lost a young man, Jonathan Freeman, to gun violence. And I just felt overcoming tragedy and turning tragedy to inspiration was a message that would bring our city closer together. It was a message that folks needed to hear. And Antoine's mom has not gone through that process. I really felt that Sabrina could tell that story in a way She's a spokesperson for Antoine's family. She's a spokesperson for these families. that, And so many people said this tonight, that she touched them, she saved mm. them, she's inspired them. You know, she really brought a message of hope, a message of resilience, um, a message of inspiration, a message of truth. She kept it real. We need a message of healing, and that's really what she brought. This keeps happening. And when... Events happened with Trayvon. I think a lot clicked into the place for the country. You know, I have to say I'm so sorry for what happened with him, and I'm so sorry that it keeps happening. What is your message when you meet with moms, be it Antoine Rose's mom or anyone else's? How do you attempt to console them? One of the main things I tell them is that Time doesn't heal all wounds. So a lot of times people think time passing will heal them, that they'll feel better about the situation. No, you learn how to channel your your negative energy. You learn how to live your life past your tragedy that you've gone through. Right now she's living in her tragedy. Mm. That's all she sees right now. So she's very angry. 
which is understandable. She's very hurt. She feels hopeless. What I told her was to never give up. And that's something I often tell myself is never give up because sometimes you feel discouraged and you feel like things are just not going to change. And you just have to know that you have to continue to fight because it's not going to go away. It's not going to get any better. She'll just learn how to deal with the pain in a different manner. And Jazeera, you're an amazing artist in your own right, and you're an activist, and you combine those threads and weave them together. Talk a little bit about where you were when you heard about Trayvon and how you reacted. It was online. I remember hearing about it online, and I remember I went to South by Southwest. It was my first time at South by Southwest as an artist. It was a big deal for me, but I remember sitting in South by Southwest on my first day writing this blog about George Zimmerman, who's a criminal. I'm like, you know, the, the picture was his mugshot that this criminal was allowed to do this and they gave him his gun back. I I was used to police killing us, but now just some random guy? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it just open season on young black men? And so I couldn't shake this story. And I began to write, you know, the song that I wrote telling the story of Trayvon. It was to this day the only song that I wrote that I actually shed tears um, in writing it. It was something that had to come out of me. Cousin Skittles in a iced tea Walked out the store and felt the chill of the night breeze It seemed a little colder than before He didn't know it was a boy Like a soldier in a war that was watching him Clocking him, thinking about stopping him Nine milli cocking him Who's this nigga walking through my neighborhood? He fits all the specifics of criminal statistics He looks suspicious 911 was show emergency A black man's walking through my hood purposely Stay calm, it's just little Trayvon But he wanna be the hero So he put his cape on Zimmerman, neighborhood block captain, loaded block strapped in, fake cop has been, got out the car, knowing what the cops asked him, they always get away this time, that will not happen. Human beings in a mind, what's a mind to a king, what's a king to a guy? For me, it's never been about fame or popularity or money, it's about saving the lives of our young people in our community. I'm writing for myself. As a young black man in America, you know, that was the, the emotion that I put into that song, and I think uh, people, people heard it. There were two people who were there that night. One of those people had a criminal record, one of them did not. The person who had the criminal record with two instances of violence, once for domestic violence and once for assault on a police officer, is the person who did the shooting. Yet our concern has predominantly been with the person who was shot. Every time you see someone sticking up a 7-Eleven, the kid's wearing a hoodie. Every time you see a mugging on a surveillance camera or they get the old lady in the alcove, it's a kid wearing a hoodie. You have to recognize that this whole stylizing yourself as a gangster. You're going to be a gangster wannabe? Well, people are going to perceive you as a menace. That's what happens. It is an instant Part of the injustice that I noticed so acutely in the case of Trayvon was not only the manner in which he lost his life, uh, in which it was taken from him, but also then the attempt to make it his fault. And we see this play out over and over again. We saw it again with Antoine Rose. I think as a parent, and I think about my own kids, how 
enraged that would make me and how at the same time it would feel so deeply wrong and wounding. How did you process that? And then how do you help other parents process that? When it happens and it's your child, you really don't know how to process it. But I think I understand a little better why people do it. You have some evil people and they do commit crimes. And to justify why they're committing crimes, whether it's a police officer or a civilian, they want to make the victim seem like they were a bad person because that where they're justifying the reason why they shot the person, the reason why they killed the person. But if you listen very carefully, none of it makes sense. It does not make sense to shoot somebody in the back and say that you felt threatened. It just does not make sense. And so we just have to be more sensible about what's going on. Most of the time, we don't want to call things how they are. And it's a lot of racism going on. It's a lot of discrimination. I don't feel like my family would have gotten the same treatment had Trayvon been white. And that's just a known fact in this country. It just does not happen. I just remember sitting in the courtroom, like, thinking and praying that maybe the justice system will see things that are factual, that Trayvon was 17, he was unarmed, he was not committing any crime, that this 28-year-old want-to-be cop, neighborhood watch captain, chased him, followed him, pursued him, and then killed him. You know, they, they, they had their fancy attorneys and everything that had put different angles on things to, to make it seem like Trayvon was so bad, but Trayvon is not a killer. That's what the bottom line is. So it's, it's ridiculous to hear so many negative things about the victim, but then you don't want people to talk about the person who actually pulled the trigger and committed the crime. But they have to live with that, even if when they get away with it in our dysfunctional criminal justice system, that they still have to live their lives and deal with the fact that you took a life for no reason. In the Circuit Court of the 18th Judicial Circuit in and for Seminole County, Florida, State of Florida versus George Zimmerman, verdict, we the jury find George Zimmerman not guilty. If we can't have no justice, then you can't have no peace. No justice. No peace. No justice. No Listening to you talk, actually to you and Jaziri both, you are clear in the use of words like crime and in the use of words like evil, which we don't talk about a whole lot these days. No, because uh, they're, they're uncomfortable topics. Right. Racism is uncomfortable to talk about. Gun violence and racial profiling, those things are uncomfortable to talk about. Evilness is uncomfortable to talk about. So people don't like to talk about those things. But we need to address those things because that's the only way we'll be able to move 
to the next step. And if I could, you know, uh, Leon Ford Jr. was there tonight, and he spoke about his own trial and his own case. And Can you just, for the justice. sake of people listening, um, just say a little bit about right. Leon? Leon was a, a young man in Pittsburgh who was pulled over. Even though his license was in his name and his registration was in his name, the police did not believe he was who his license said. The police wanted him to be a criminal, so they put a different name into the data system. And instead of having Leon come out of the car, they tried to pull Leon through the window of the car. The car moved forward, and although no officers were in the way of the car and in danger, an officer against his own training jumped into the back seat and shot Leon five times, paralyzing him. Thankfully, he lived. They're living a life not knowing passion, having no passion to change the world adding no true value to the world, just living. If purpose comes at the expense of this pain, I take it. The process from nothing to something, from caterpillar to butterfly, from coal to diamond isn't comfortable. In fact, it is an arduous process, but it's worth it. The more pain I endure, the stronger I become. The more this city disrespects and has disregards for my life, the more powerful I become. My only wish is to be an ordinary 24-year-old, but their ignorance is turning me into a superhero. Not in a self-serving way, but as the underdog doing what so many are afraid to do. I feel their pride, optimism, and hope. The type of hope that one can only gain from a superhero. Just like you, I expect white supremacy to be precisely what it is, and I will use my words to fight it, even if I die like Nat Turner. I expect to die again with him, Emmett Till, Trayvon Martin, Fred Hampton, and so many others for the sin of color. Sorry. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You know, like Sabrina said, you're thinking like, well, all the facts show I didn't do anything wrong. Officer Derbish, who got out of the car before he even spoke to Leon, turned his microphone off. You see him on video snatching his ID out of his hand. Why would you turn your microphone off? Why are you doing all of these things that's in violation of your own training? And then when you go to court and the system says not guilty or the system criminalizes you, it tells us that you don't value us in the same way way. You don't value my life, that my life has less meaning. And so then to turn around and say, I should invest or have faith in a system that doesn't value me. This is one of the reasons why young black people, young brown people might not be as engaged in the system, because look at how many times that we've been let down. For us to have to say in 2019 that Black Lives Matter is shocking. That question of why does it keep happening? It's not for us. Mm-hmm. We're the victims of it. It's, it's, that's a question for the system. When uh, Trayvon Martin was first shot, I said that this could have been my son. Another way of saying that is uh, Trayvon Martin could have been me 35 years ago. And when you think about why, in the African American com- community at least, there's a lot of pain around what happened here. I think it's important to recognize that the African-American community is looking at this issue through uh, a set of experiences and a, and a history that, that doesn't go away. 
We live in a society that's so obsessed with black death. We have images of our death in the TV screen, on our Twitter timelines, on our Facebook timelines. What if instead we imagine black life? We imagine black people living and thriving. Black Lives Matter is our call to action. The Black Lives Matter movement was overdue and needed to be born and was born out of Trayvon's loss. And yet we live in a time where there's tremendous pushback against that. But I think part of Jaziri, the artistry that you do and Sabrina, your book and the speeches that you give, part of the artistry of that as well, is that in addition to rage and anger and calls for justice, you bring alive the beautiful truth of those black lives that otherwise can feel too easy to dismiss. And how do you shift? You come out of that moment of, of loss and rage and it keeps happening. And then you have to also tell a story to the young people in one hood about how they find their dignity and their purpose and their soul. And Sabrina, you go before these audiences and you have to tell people you've never met about what is wonderful in the human spirit that be they black or white, they can bring alive. How do you do both? Because I know you believe you have to do both. I, I brought Sabrina to Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's what I did. And to tell that story, you know, one of the things she said tonight that really touched me was about her book, her and Tracy Martin, and why they wrote it. Because so many people had told the story, but they were not Trayvon's parents. They didn't live it. They told a story they didn't live. You know, what we tell our students at One Hood is we have to tell our own stories. The power of tonight was Sabrina coming and telling that story in her own words with her heart. You know, she spoke very purely, very beautifully and told her story and it resonated with everybody in the audience. And that's the power that we're speaking to the youth. And, and uh, most of her message tonight, uh, much of her message was about developing the young people in our community to be the future leaders. And that definitely resonated with our students at One Hood. You can't just look at the things that's right there in front of you. You have to have hope and you have to have faith and you have to believe that things will change. And I certainly believe that things will change. And I think that our young people is the vessel for that change. And so that's why I have invested my time and energy in the young people because they're so resilient. They have so much energy. They're motivated and they want things to change. They want things better. I even apologize on behalf of my generation, your generation, the generations before us, that we are going to have to turn this country over to our young people, our youth, in the condition that it is in now and just you know, drop it in their laps. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to pick it up and they're going to make it better. I think so often in the history of this country, the unsung heroes of social change have been black women. And I listen to you speak and look at what you're doing now. And you are, whether you feel it or not, very much part of that 
tradition. And I, I wonder, do you feel it? I'm going to say no, I don't feel it. Any mom is going to fight for her child, you know. And when something as tragic as your child being killed, we go into overload and, and we switch on turbo mom and, and we just do what we feel like we need to do. We do what it, whatever is necessary to try to protect our children, to defend our children, to love our children, to nurture our children. And so I'm just simply doing what my instincts tell me to do as a mother, and that's to speak for my son who's not here. I love it that you believe that, and I also love what you're doing, and I just want to say thank you for that. It's extraordinary, so it may not feel extraordinary to you, but... No, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And Jaziri, what about you? I'm an optimist. I mean, I really... I'm inspired by, you know, youth becoming more active. I'm inspired by the work... Sabrina does through the Trayvon Martin Foundation. If I'm looking and seeing all the work Sabrina's doing, what excuse do I have? When Sabrina comes and says, we got to keep fighting, who am I to then turn around and say, no, nah, I'm tired? <laughs> we got to mm. keep fighting. Our work in the community is amazing, and I think you know it really should be lifted up. The work of the, of the foundation I wanted to touch on as well. And is there anything you wanted to say about the work of the foundation? Well, we have several different things. We have a scholarship program where we help two high school students go to college. We have the Circle of Mothers, which is mothers who are victims of senseless gun violence like myself. And we have a back-to-school event where we give about 500 book bags away with supplies and coupons for uniforms and books and things like that. So we're trying to do as much as we can. We have a youth event that we talk about self-esteem and social media, gun violence and suicide. We talk about those subjects that they don't quite touch on in school. We have about 1,200 kids that we reach each year. I even thought about becoming a substitute teacher so I can get into the school system and talk to the kids, but they told me the pay is pennies. <laughs> but um, but my mission would be accomplished because I would be able to have that contact with the kids. But I would encourage people to go on our website. It's TrayvonMartinFoundation.org and see some of the things that we're doing, not only in the community, our community, but in the world. I would really encourage people to do that, not only because of the programs and what they'll learn about what you've done there, but... Also because this is what we look like at our absolute best is when we take terrible tragedy and turn it into something beautiful, which is it's love. You know, it is what, what love incarnate looks like. And I, I don't want to make this about politics, but we are certainly in a moment where it seems as though permission has been given to say racist things to behave in hateful ways, to otherize people? Are you hopeful that we can push back even harder and to make this unacceptable again and maybe to make it more unacceptable? Because actually it's always been too acceptable. So the question is, can we, can we use this moment, do you think, to pivot and come out in a better place at the end? I mean, we have to. I mean, we don't have a choice. You know, I remember being at the University of Miami with Sabrina, and we were talking about kind of police interaction and, you know, what should we do when we when we get pulled over by the police. And I remember somebody, I, I guess, kind of suggesting, like, should I follow the law if what they're doing is wrong? And I remember Sabrina saying that she said, I can't tell my son not to follow the instructions of that officer. I lost one son. I can't 
lose another, speaking of our son Javaris, I have three children. We have to keep pushing. We don't have a choice because literally our children's lives are at stake. Our community's lives are at stake. And so no matter how hard the pushback is, we don't have the option to just quit. It's going to affect us. And what we've seen explicitly here in the city of Pittsburgh is that rhetoric leads to actual violence. Mm. We saw rhetoric turn into a man going into a synagogue and shooting down elderly people because they were a place that helped refugees. We have to push back harder. And I really feel like all these movements are coming up because people have had enough. We done being oppressed. We done being second class citizens. We done you not recognizing our humanity. And so we're making demands. But we don't have a choice. Keep pushing because we're going to push back even harder. And wait till you see what happens in 2020. And then wait till you see what happens when Sabrina is in one of them offices. <laughs> Do you ever think about that, Sabrina? <laughs> <laughs> Just going to chop him up right now. I'm going to chop him up right now. I'm doing my but that, that question comes up quite a bit now. I'm doing my research to mm-hmm. see which area I'll be more effective in. Will I be more effective as Sabrina Fulton, the citizen, doing what I'm doing now, or will I be more effective as Sabrina Fulton, the politician? So that's I'm just taking a look at everything right now. We'll be watching that space closely. (laughs) Yeah, we could get on that train. So I'm asking this question very carefully because I'm sensitive to how often white people make it black people's responsibility to tell us what to do and to educate us about the oppression that you face and the challenges that you face. So I'm not asking in that spirit, but I am asking... When you're speaking with white folks who may struggle with the concept that they have privilege, what do you say to them that you want them to hear? Some of those people I really don't want to talk to and say anything to. Mm. But then I know that if I just talk to people with the same mindset that I have, then we are really not making any change. Mm. Quite frankly, a lot of times we have more in common than we have that's uncommon. And so I talk about the love that I have for my son. I talk about how I miss my son. And I kind of want them to put themselves in my position as a parent and how would they feel if Trayvon was their son. See, a lot of people can't see it because of the color of his skin. So they couldn't put their son in Trayvon's position because they can only see a black person there. Mm -hmm. But if they just imagine if Trayvon was their son that was 17 years old, that was unarmed, that was simply walking from the store, and their son was shot and killed, then they would have different thoughts about what happened. They wouldn't blame Trayvon and say that he must have been doing something that was illegal. Trayvon was not committing any crime. Trayvon was not, he had not, never been arrested. For so long, people have pretended that racism did not exist. But it's exactly what was being done. It's exactly what they're doing. I just think we need to unite, and I think we need to come together, and I think we, should, we need to realize that it doesn't matter if You hear on the news that a 17-year-old was killed. You have to think about that person's mother, father, siblings, and and just understand a life was taken. And then you need to look at the reason why the life was taken, and was it justified? I, I have not heard any tragedies that had happened in a very long time that I would say that were justified. Mm-hmm. 
It, it just simply does not happen. Yeah. I, I agree. It completely doesn't. But what I love about your answer is that you point to the power of sharing stories to help us see each other. There's a saying that you can't hate somebody whose story you know, and I, I think so often that turns out to be true. I also, again, like your candor around calling things what they are and asking that people be honest about their views uh, and their background. And Jazeera, I'm just wondering if you want to take a crack at that question as well, because I, I know you've done a lot on this. It is story. It is culture. We just have to keep telling those stories. We have to keep, you know, utilizing art and utilizing in culture and utilizing our artists with these platforms so people see it. Keep saying it. And eventually, hopefully, one day, folks get it. And I do believe that we'll eventually get to the point where we can look at one another and see one another equally, that we can see the humanity in one another. And I just want to be clear that that's on all of us. Absolutely. Sabrina, I, I, I want to say this to you as we wrap up. Your son changed me, changed how I see the world. The aftermath of it, the acquittal of his killer changed me. And I think there are a lot of us out there. Your willingness to share has also changed me and a whole lot of other folks. And I, from the bottom of my heart, want to end where I began by thanking you for your willingness to follow the calling that you've heard in the wake of your son's death. The name of this program is We Can Be, and we always ask the folks who appear on it how you would end that statement. We can be what? We can be encouraged. We can be positive. We can be inspired. We can be resilient. In the face of what Sabrina has went through, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, I'm really, she's far from average. We can be extraordinary. And she serves Sabrina is certainly extraordinary. I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, too. Thank you. From Emmett Till to Antoine Rose Jr., the killing of black boys has been the shameful, ongoing manifestation of our nation's struggle with the value and perception of the black community. It has often been black women who have been organizing forces in the civil rights and social justice movements. Sabrina Fulton is one of those women, even though she dismisses herself as just a mom doing what any mom would do. She has somehow turned numbing grief into hope and pain into change. She is connecting with individuals across the country, including artists like Jaziri X, to form a powerful community who are doing good in the name of her son, Trayvon Martin. As a country, we have so much history to overcome, so much pain to acknowledge, so much anger to work through. But what Sabrina Fulton shows us is that if our hearts are generous, we can work through anything and find room for each other, all of us, in a safer and more just country. 